Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. In this town, in this church, in her work, and I release health and strength in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, you're so beautiful. God, you're so good. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word. In Jesus' awesome name. Amen, amen. Let's take our seats. You've been so <clears throat> patient. <clears throat> Don't you love our awesome God? Oh, I love church because church is about meeting with God, not just singing three or four songs and doing a prayer and having someone say some nice words and then go home hopefully feeling better. It's about meeting with God and letting His presence overflow our hearts and I just thank God for that this church makes room for the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I want to share um, Isaiah 58 with you tonight. We've been started, we're in the 40 days of prayer and presence. <clears throat> There's a really powerful passage in Isaiah 58. The prophet was an, Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied into Israel and also prophesied some amazing prophecies about Jesus coming and about the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And in Isaiah 58, some of the Israelites or Jews as we know them, they were getting really zealous. They'd been challenged by God to pray and fast. The only problem was, if you read in the first few verses of Isaiah 58, they were praying and fasting, but they were still treating each other with harshness. The, the employers weren't paying their employees properly. They were being difficult with one another. They were, there was corruption. They were praying and fasting, hoping God would answer their prayers, but they weren't living a life that was pleasing to God. And I want to pick that up in verse 5, and uh, the prophet speaks to them and says, this is the kind of prayer and seeking God you need to do. In this, but is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for laying in sackcloth and ashes? Sackcloth is what it sounds like. They were sacks. They'd put on, and when they were praying and fasting and in grief, they'd put ashes on their head, and they would, wouldn't bathe, and they would just look horrible. They were, trying, they were just trying to be humble and uh, to cry out to God. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them when, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear from your righteousness. Well, you, then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, the Lord will answer, you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. 
What a beautiful, beautiful promise those last few verses are. And I think there's actually uh, 10 key things that God says He will do if we seek His presence, like we're doing in this 40 days with tens of thousands of people around our nation. But if we do it with a right heart and we love God and we love people. It's not good to love God and then treat people with judgment, with unkindness, with uh, selfishness. God says, hey, it's important you love Him and love the people. So we see the great benefits that flood into the lives of those who exercise the right kind of compassionate faith and prayer. Number one, in verse 8, it says, your light will break forth like the dawn. Now, some young people never ever see dawn, do they? Unless they've stayed up all night playing computer games. <clears throat> some folks get up early and see the dawn. It's beautiful and the sun's just starting to... All the fishermen, we go fishing with Pete, we always see the dawn because we're up early to try and catch fish. Sometimes it's a great benefit and other times I think it's a, a loss of sleep. That's all I call it sometimes. <laughs> And some older folks, they get up really early. They go to bed at about 7 o'clock and they're up by 4 in the morning and they see the dawn regularly. I see it every now and then, more often in winter when the sun comes up later. But it says, your light will break forth like the dawn. You will be a bright and luminescent person and the sunlight of the gospel will glow from your life. How awesome is it when you meet a Christian who is just sincere and real, and it's almost like there's a glow happening out of their face. And they haven't been putting that new shiny cream on their face or, you know, polishing it or whatever. There's just a glow that comes from their face. I know when I go to India, you can almost tell the Christians when you walk down the street because their eyes, they just shine. Most of the people, sadly in India, because of their idolatry and they worship all sorts of gods there's a lot of fear and and poverty and need often there's just a darkness in their souls but the christians you look at them and they, there's just a light and sometimes their faces i've watched people that have gone from a heavy downcast face and within weeks of meeting christ it's like their face is just shining they've learned how to smile they found their smile muscles again they reckon that you use a lot less muscles to smile than you do to frown not sure if that's true or not, but that's what they say. So I reckon we need to get our smile muscles going and let us glow. And it says that if you follow me, I'll actually bring a glow to your life. That's awesome. That, that's a promise. Second one, verse 8, your healing will quickly appear. Oh, yes. When we live a life of justice and integrity and in love as much as we can, it says you will, your healing will quickly appear. You will be able to stay emotionally healthy and look forward to eternal health and strength. Hallelujah. I find that when I walk as openly as I can before God and I treat people with honesty and openness and, res and respect and kindness, often there's just a fulfillment comes in your life. You know, you just, you just feel this sense of, purpose and fulfillment and that's not just for pastors that's because I'm a follower of Jesus not because I'm a pastor <clears throat> and I think there's a beautiful freedom that comes over the people of God and sometimes we wrestle with illness for years and the healing doesn't fully appear but I believe as we walk with God there's more and more healing and release flows over our lives thirdly in verse 8 it says the Lord will go before you and behind you 
Oh, that is really, really good news. It says God's going to be all around you. He surrounds you so that you don't have to be afraid of what the enemy might try and do to you. We can trust in God. I believe we need to commit our day every day to the Lord. And whatever we do, when we drive, we say, Lord, give us a safe trip. But because he's with you, you don't have to pray for two hours before you head out the door in the car because there's so much fear. You say, Lord, I thank you that you love me and you're going to watch over and protect me today. Lord, you're going to bless me in my work. You're going to help me to be a good example in the people I meet and all that we do. And you surrender every day to God and it says he will then be your guard front and back. If he's front and back, it means he's all around you. How awesome is that? That we can trust him. And some days seem like they're days from hell because everything just breaks loose. But I want to say, as I shared this morning, some people sometimes say, well, where were you, Lord, when that difficult thing happened? He was watching over you and he may have been weeping when he saw the pain you went through. But let me tell you, he was there because he always will be. He will mop up all the problems of your past and proceed into the potential of your future. How awesome is that? Psalm 139.5 says, You both proceed and follow me and place your hand of blessing on my head. Wow. Place your hand of blessing on my head. Another verse says that you put your hand upon my shoulder. There's been a few times when I've been worshipping where I've just, I've just felt like someone had their hand touching my head or my shoulder. I looked around and there was no one. It was just the presence of God. Every now and then he will remind you in a way you know, you know that he's with you. And how awesome is that? This morning we're in the first service and the Holy Spirit spoke to me that he wanted to heal some people's backs. And, and I could see this healing power in a picture flowing up and down people's backs. And so when I got up to preach, I spoke that out. One of the guys grabbed me at morning tea time. He was so excited. He says, about 10 minutes before you said that, at the end of the worship, I felt someone touch my back. I looked around to see who was behind me that might have reached out to touch me. And he says, there was no one directly there. He said, then I knew it was the Lord. And 10 minutes later, you get up and say, I see God's hand touching people's backs. And he said, I just came so alive and I could feel the power of God just running all through me. And I thought, wow. He went out just so excited. And sometimes God will do that physically to show you, to remind you that he's always with us. You don't depend on those physical reminders, but boy, they're awesome when they happen. And every now and then God knows we need it because we just get so busy it's not weird and mystical. It's just the presence of God surrounding us, just like it promises. He will be our in front of us and behind us. Verse 9, the fourth one, it says, The Lord will answer your prayers. When you call, He will say, Here I am. Here I am. Wow. Sometimes we pray and it seems like God's not listening. Let me tell you, He hears every cry of every heart. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, healed, made whole. Sometimes there's a process of us learning to receive. Sometimes God does it layer upon layer because if he gave us all in one go, we wouldn't know how to handle it, we wouldn't value it, and we would often lose it. 
So sometimes God takes us on step-by-step faith journey. That's why sometimes healing comes in stages when you're a believer. Because if it all comes in one go, sometimes we quickly forget the power of it. God knows where we're at. So it says he'll hear your prayer. Verse 5, verse 10, it says, the fifth one, your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Wow. Your light will rise in the darkness. Sometimes that darkness is in our minds or our hearts or around us in your workplace or your household or your family or your neighborhood. Sometimes when you go on holidays, you drive into different towns you haven't been to before. And some, some place you drive into and you just feel this, this freedom and joy and, the, and a lightness. Other place you drive into, you start to feel darkness and heaviness. I remember when I was in Bangkok one time on a missions trip and the taxi driver, driver got lost. <clears throat> that was a problem when the taxi driver got lost because we had no idea where we were. And he drove down these back streets. It was nearly midnight. We were lost in the city of 10 million people or more. He was totally lost. And we'd, he stopped and wanted us to get out. There was no way in the world we were getting out because we were totally lost. And it was dark, not only physically, but spiritually. You could feel the oppression. I thought, if we get out of this taxi, we're in really dangerous territory. So don't you actually physically feel that darkness in the spirit? But it says, God will come and your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You will be noticed. You will have influence. In the darkness of this world, you will make a difference. God has placed you and I in this world, and when His light shines, it grabs people's attention. They don't quite know why, but they just want to come and talk to you. They don't quite know why, but they just like listening to what you've got to say. And it's powerful that God's called us to be light in the darkness. Number six, in verse 11, it says, He will guide you always. He will show you what to do and help you with your decisions. I heard about a, a young lady, a teenager, who had been rescued from certain death as an infant in the Ukraine, and she was adopted by a missionary family. During a testimony, she made a very compelling statement. She said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I thought, that is powerful. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So no matter what your future holds, the unknown, the uncertainties, the not quite sure what's going to work out in the next three or six months or 12 months, but you can trust a known God that He's going to be with you. And that's something powerful that a promise that God gives us. Number seven. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. He will strengthen your body. He will strengthen all about you. This promise was also said earlier by Isaiah. In, in Isaiah 30, he said, In quietness and confidence will be your strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not go, grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What an awesome, awesome promise that is to our lives that we can trust in our amazing God. And these are the promises that God's given to the people of Israel and prophetically for us if we pray, walk in His presence, and we live as righteous a life as we can. In other words, we're not mistreating people. We're living out of kindness and love. 
The next one is, uh, then Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, I am your God, I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you by my right hand of righteousness. Wow, that's a great, great promise. That's one of the first verses I learned in the Bible when I was a young person. That I will help you. I will strengthen you. So no matter what area you feel weak in, God says, I will strengthen you and I will help you. These are great promises of personal strength. The eighth one in verse 11, you will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. Hallelujah. How awesome is that, that God's like a well-watered garden for our lives. Before the recent rain this last week, you could drive down the street and clearly see the lawns and gardens that have been watered, and you could compare it with the brown yards that hadn't had any watering. It was so obvious and distinctive. Those who practice the right kind of faith will flourish, for they will have a divine gardener with ever-flowing streams of rejuvenation and refreshment. That's what God promised. He says, I will just refresh your soul. That's why some people, they just seem to be regularly got something fresh in their life. You say, well, is that just because they're special in God's eyes and I just pour out extra? Or have they got just that personality type and they're just always on top type people? Or have they found a secret of walking in the presence of God and allowing His refreshing oil, His living water, just to fill their soul every day? Doesn't mean you have to pray for three hours every morning before you go out the door. It means that you just find ways to tap into that refreshing, living water every day. It just flows in and through your soul. And you say, well, I just don't know how that works. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will be, it will cause rivers of living water to flow out of your soul. That's why when we worship, if you're going to worship, worship with all of your heart. Don't stand with your hands in your pocket thinking, oh, I'm not getting anything out of this. If that's your attitude, you won't get anything out of it. I've learned that my spirit wants to worship God. My mind and my flesh might be distracted or I'm still thinking about the things I've got to sort out. But I've learned if you step into that realm of the Holy Spirit and start to worship Jesus with all of your being, all of a sudden you step from a place of dryness into a place of living water. You do it by faith. You also speak the promises of God over you every day. Whether you feel like you're born again and living in freedom or not, you say, Lord, I thank you that you have saved me. You are setting me free. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm learning how to walk the walk of faith. I'm learning how to forgive and be forgiven. And you start to declare that over your life. You move from a place of dryness into a place of living water. And let me tell you, it'll start to satisfy your soul. And then it will start to overflow. And people say, what's your secret? I've just told you what it is. You get to know Jesus who is life. He's the bread of life. He's living water. His presence turns darkness to light. His love drives out fear. His presence takes the darkness and the oppression and the weakness and the limitations and he pushes it away and you start to step into a place of supernatural life and freedom. 
That's what it means that he will be a well-watered garden. There will be freedom in your soul. And we can all do that because it's God's given it to us. It's a choice by his Spirit. He keeps us emotionally hydrated and healthy. Hallelujah. He can keep you emotionally hydrated and healthy. Some of us, our spirits are strong, but our emotions just play all sorts of crazy tricks on us. They're affected by tiredness, by illness, by other people's words, by our ups and downs and, and all those things. But we can have our spirit, soul, and body refreshed and renewed every day. And God's there to help us to live in that freedom. Number nine, two more to go. We will be given a special name, repairer of broken walls. Wow. Wow, what a beautiful promise that we can be a repairer of broken walls. <clears throat> you will say, well, Jesus is the only one that can repair broken walls. Yeah, but he flows through you and I. You accept someone and love them, you're helping repair the walls of their soul of rejection. You bring life and hope, encouragement. You're starting to turn around the negativity that has plagued their life. They've been depressed and discouraged, and you come with a song of hope and encouragement. You speak some words of life over yourself and over other people, because it's got to work for you before it'll work for others. Some people say, God, use me. But you've got to learn to walk in victory yourself more and more, and then you will have a well of living water that others will want to come and drink from. And I had to learn to do that when I was a young person, when I came to know Christ. I had to learn to get the Word of God. I was shy. I was fearful. And for whatever reason, I just didn't have a whole lot of confidence in some areas of my life. You wouldn't believe that now, but that's true. That's how I was. But thank God I was in a church that taught us how to walk in the Spirit. I got filled with the Holy Spirit four months after I was born again at an Easter camp here at Beth Shan in Harvey Bay. And then I learned to, I memorized hundreds of scriptures so I could get the word in to start to renew my mind. Found all the scriptures on Fear Not. There's 365 of them. I found them all. I wrote a lot of them out and I started to memorize them. I started to memorize scripture about who I was as a new creation in Christ. Because I had to renew my mind. And over the first two, two, two and a half years of, of, as a Christian, when I was 18, 19, 20, I learned hundreds of verses because I thought, I have got to get this working for me, otherwise I can't pass it on to others. And it's not about works, it's about learning to live in this river of living water. And we can all do that. You say, that sounds like a bit of effort. It's not a real lot when you start to realize the benefits and rewards that come into our heart and our life. As followers of Jesus, we can be called all sorts of names. Christian, believers, the church, the body of Christ, children of God, saints, plus probably a whole lot more we won't mention here. <laughs> but here it says, you will have a special name, you will be a repairer of broken walls. What an awesome, awesome promise. A repairer of broken walls of broken lives, of broken communities. That's what God's called us to do in this city and community. We're a repairer of broken walls in people's souls. We're a repairer of broken walls in our community, in our city, in our schools, in our families, in our workplaces. What an awesome calling. And the Spirit of God is there 
to help us do it. God will use us to reclaim and repair those who have broken down in life. And number 10, in verse 14, it says, Our lives will be flooded with joy. Wow. Flooded with joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When I lose my joy, I lose my spiritual strength. If I lose my peace or joy, I know I've got to stop and find out what happened. Did I sin? Did I just get busy and distracted and just... Do you know it's so easy to have idols in our lives? God hates idolatry. And we read about the people in the Old Testament thing, and what a bunch of wallies they were. They all had idols all the time. Here, Moses has gone up on the mountain, and God's given him the Ten Commandments, plus all the other. The first one's about, you shall have no other gods before me. While he's on the mountain, the people down below get sick of waiting 40 days, and they build an idol out of the gold earrings they bought out of Egypt. God's telling him, don't have any idols, and they're down there making them at the same time, I thought. How crazy are we as human beings? Do you know what an idol is? It's anything that takes the place where Jesus should be in our lives. Whoops, all of a sudden, it's not Old Testament stuff anymore. It's right now where I live. A relationship can be idolatrous if it takes an unhealthy place. You don't push people out. If you're married, your spouse is the primary relationship of your life, but your spirit connects with God as number one, and you work together. Materialism can be an idol. You'll know if it's an idol, because if God asks you to give it up, how big's the fight? That, that's, that's a real sign of whether it's an idol or not. Well, the surfies are over this side, so God says, I want you to give you your best surfboard away. How big's the fight? Some others love their cars or their clothes or their motorbikes or their houses. God's not against things. He wants to bless us so abundantly that we've got more than enough to share with everyone. So it's not about things. It's are they in a wrong place. That's what idolatry is. And our Western society, we just don't get that. I go to India and, and they're worshipping idols on every corner and, and everywhere. They burn their incense and give them their fruit. They're starving, but they give their percentage of their food and fruit and leave it there to rot for the cows and monkeys to come and eat it. And I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense. They're starving, but they feel out of fear to try and serve these gods, these idols. We don't do it directly, but we do it indirectly. And we wonder why we live limited lives when sometimes things have just crept into the space that Christ has called us to live. Whoa, that's not in my notes. I'm not sure how we got there, but we did. Because the Spirit of God has called us to live a life of joy and freedom. Our work can become an idol. Now, if you're running a business or working hard, it's you need to put many hours into it. But can you put that aside when needed, when God says, I've got something else for you to do for this next half hour? That's, that's the challenge. And God says, I want you to live in joy. We'll find joy in the Lord and God can cause us to ride in triumph and feast on his inheritance, verse 14 says. 
The joy of the Lord is our strength. Just want to read a quick story as we come to the end and Ashley can come on up. I was reading this uh, story. A couple called Alan and Dorothy Graham. They used to be missionaries. They were confronting the human suffering in Romania years ago. And Alan said, I began reading the Bible that God had to, what God had to say about the poor and helping the needy. And I saw what Isaiah said in Isaiah 58 about the fast and the prayer. It's to take care of the poor and the needy and to live unselfish lives. And I prayed about this and God spoke clearly to us to go back to Africa. We had been there many years before. We hadn't been Christians at that time. And Alan said, I'd become an alcoholic there. My wife was going to divorce me. But then we turned to Christ. He turned our lives around. Now, years later, we felt God's call to go to Zimbabwe. Alan and Dorothy secured a work permit, which in itself was a political miracle. They ended a nation gripped in racism and turmoil. The country had descended into violence during the era of the president, Robert Mugabe, and things had gone from bad to worse. Alan and Dorothy traveled into the countryside to teach in schools accompanied by their translator. The area was tense because disaffected war veterans were angry with white farmers and landowners, one of whom lived behind gates near the school. As the Grahams returned from teaching and passed the farm, their truck was suddenly surrounded by 120 enraged men who began chanting political slogans and shoving their vehicle from side to side. Dorothy cried, we're going to die. We're going to die. Well, if we're going to die, said Alan, let's go out preaching the gospel. He jumped onto the back of the truck and finally coaxed the unwilling translator to join him <laughs> while Dorothy prayed inside the car. Alan shouted to the mob, I'm not here to talk about Mugabe, about the opposition, which further inflamed the throng, but he said, I'm here to talk about Jesus. And if you'll shut up and sit down, you might learn something. <laughs> this is boldness. In telling the story, Alan turned to me and said, in a situation like that, you've got to take authority, you see. Alan gained their attention and long enough to preach the gospel. He told them Jesus was the answer to Zimbabwe's problems and that Christ alone was the answer to their personal needs and problems. When he gave the invitation to receive Christ, 20 of the men indicated they wanted to receive Jesus as their Savior. I prayed with them and gave them New Testaments and booklets. Then I sent them home and said, if anyone else wants a booklet, come and I'll give one. The men, the men got in line and I gave out all of my gospel material. Remember, these guys were going to kill whoever they met. As I bent over to retrieve the last booklet to the last man, the teacher stuck a gun in my, the leader stuck a gun in my neck and said, Pastor, it's time for you to go back to Harare. Take your gun away, said Alan. I'm from Northern Ireland and guns don't really scare me. <laughs> That's another whole story. <laughs> Why do you have a gun to my head? We want you going back, said the soldier. We don't want you staying here. Do you know what I do? I preach the gospel and Help the poor. We know that's why we're giving you a chance to go back to Harare. Wow. The Grahams went back to Harare and learned the next day the remaining mob had murdered the nearby farmer after they'd left. But undeterred, the Grahams went on helping the needy, 
feeding the poor, clothing naked, providing school uniforms for children. They dug wells to provide water. They shared the gospel. In one village, they drilled a well and planned a day of dedication for the new water supply. A national pastor preached about the living water of Christ and a thousand people received Jesus as Savior. There's a church there now of a thousand people that wasn't there before. This is Isaiah 58. Letting the life of Jesus transform the community around us. They went on and shared there's a lot of danger and incest and rape and many children born out of wedlock. Some are just left on the streets. And while he was preaching in a church in California, Alan said, God spoke to me, we're going to open a home for abandoned babies. Sitting in the audience, his wife was startled, and as soon as the service ended, she said, Alan, what are you doing? How are we going to start with no money? And then a lady tapped Alan's shoulder and said, how much will you need for that project? He said, I had no idea, which, to which she replied, I'll give the first 100000 to get you started. When we do what Isaiah 58 says, God's blessing flows over our lives. There's still battles, there's challenges, there's courage needed, there's faith required. And I believe God's called us in this church to continue to be Christ to our community, to minister to our awesome brothers and sisters in transformations and to touch the people in our school neighborhood and in our community and the the people you know that live next door. The people that come into our church because God's Spirit's drawing them. The ones that come on Friday nights to our kids club and youth. Some of the guys that are starting to show up at our men's shed. and The people that come into your shop and are in your class at school. Let the light shine. Jesus, help us to live above small-minded, selfish lives and live for Christ. I just feel the call of God over our lives tonight. This is not about emotion. This is about the Spirit of God saying, I want you to live bigger lives. I want you to live lives that count. And I'm going to be here to heal and restore and give you light and hope and all those 10 promises that are in Isaiah 58 verses 8 to 11. You need to go home this week and read them and pray over and say, Lord, I claim them. I'm going to live in them. And Lord, whatever you give me, I'm going to share it with others. That's the key. If you're willing to share it, the words of hope and Christ and and living water and food and whatever we've got, if you're willing to share it, God will say, I'll look after you and I'll protect you and I'll give you more. Let's stand in his presence. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. I just feel the Spirit of God calling us to a higher calling of His kingdom purposes. This is not to make anyone feel guilty or lazy or slack. I read those stories and I wept and I thought, God, is my life really counting like you want it to be? I didn't feel condemned. I felt drawn as if the Lord's saying, step up and keep making yourself available for God to flow through your gifts, your opportunities, your relationships your neighborhood. 
It's the most fulfilling, joy-filled, powerful life to live for the kingdom of God. This world is rapidly hurtling to an uncertain future. Don't let the negative news depress you. Don't let the brokenness around you discourage you. Tap into our awesome God who is able to heal the brokenhearted. Your name will be called Repairer of Broken Walls in people's souls, in their families. There's a few people here tonight, you're in an uncertain season of your life and you're not sure what to do. I urge you to take some time and say, God, what does Isaiah 58 mean to me right now? Lord, I want my life to really, really count. Not to do foolish or silly things and don't make a rash promise tonight that you're going to save the world and travel to India and win three million people to Jesus before Christmas. Don't don't make rash promises. But say, Jesus, I want my life to count. And Lord, show me and teach me how to live this life of Christ out in a powerful way. We're going to sing this song and I just feel a calling of the Spirit of God to lay your life down and say, God, I'm yours. Flow through me. Maybe your life's been a little bit mundane, dry, like some of the gardens have been around our place. Or you've just been drifting or cruising along. But tonight, it's like the whole service, God's just grabbed some of our hearts and said, come and live a higher life. Let the call of the Spirit of God just flow over our hearts. There's a few people in this place, you've been called to be what we would call evangelists, where you give a significant portion of your life to winning people to Christ. There have been others here that you've been called to heal the brokenhearted in your community or neighborhood, and you've already know what God's called you to do, but you've been a little bit hesitant. I just feel the Spirit of God. I just want to open the altar for a few minutes. If you want to just... Take a moment to stand or kneel and say, Jesus, here's my life. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.